0: Welcome to the Third Growth Option Podcast, where we talk with business leaders and innovators hungry to drive growth that can be faster than internal organic growth and less risky than acquisition. Your moderator is Bernal Dunkerspuler, Chief Sherpa and CEO at Realign, who has led private equity-owned distributors through turnarounds and growth. With battle-proven leaders from all frontiers, we want to provoke thinking about business growth beyond conventional or wisdom and binary choices. Hey, I'm Benno, your host, talking with Brittany Toler, a very successful business executive who is now focusing on helping clients with EOS implementation. Brittany, welcome to Third Growth Option Podcast.
1: Thank you, Benno. It's great to be here.
0: To listeners outside of the gift. And decor industry. I, I think maybe the best way to introduce you is as most recently a CEO of a direct to consumer company. And uh, you worked your way up through product and marketing and major account sales and innovation. And uh, to folks inside the gift and decor industry, maybe names like Cape Craftsman ring a bell, where you started at age 18, right? Was that like a summer job before college or?
1: You know, I was so fortunate there. It was a summer job in high school. And then they gave me a job at the corporate office. And I worked my way through undergraduate school there. And just fell in love with consumer products and innovation and design and this idea of international sourcing. And so, uh, Cape Craftsman was where I got the st- my start, and several of my great mentors uh, were my bosses and partners there. And I, you know, I loved it. And I started, and once I started in the industry, I just stayed in the space. I you know, moved from Cape Craftsman to, to Evergreen, and then, as you said,
0: which the, which they Evergreen bought Cape Craftsman.
1: They did. They bought Kate Craftsman later. So that was a fun little turnaround of that. And now it's one of the brands in their uh, portfolio as part of their strategic growth through acquisition models. And I spent 13 years at Evergreen, both integrating and bringing over Kate Craftsman, as well as working, as you mentioned, in product and innovation, marketing major account sales, you name it. So it was a really great learning, entrepreneurial-led there. So tons of opportunity if you're willing to work hard and put the time in. And then that led to the opportunity to be the CEO of a really fun, direct-to-consumer, multi-channel brand. So we're mailing catalogs. We've got our own website, um, leading a lot of new product and innovation. And that was a really, really fun and exciting opportunity. Uh, that e-commerce space moves quickly.
0: That's right. So I want to talk about a topic that is near and dear to your heart, to both our hearts, actually, um, process, right? And I think it was in your most recent CEO role that uh, you became intrigued with EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. So let's kind of start there. How how did you become a believer in of EOS?
1: Oh, I love this part of that. The story so so interesting. Leading a company and you know working with really imaginative, creative, hardworking leadership team. And so the private equity firm I was working for had asked me to come in there and kind of lead a major financial and strategic turnaround. And the first few years were were fantastic, and we were really able to quickly grow sales, uh, move from from losing money to being incredibly profitable, and and having a pretty fun time doing it. Also. And then a couple of years in, I felt like we were hitting a ceiling. It was hard to get new initiatives accomplished and accomplished well. I had really great leaders that were really strong in their business units and, and nice to work with. But it seemed we weren't able to really accomplish things together. It felt like everybody's working in their silos. Or in the worst case, everybody's bringing the problems to my desk, right? And saying, Brittany, what should we do? What's the answer? And so a friend in my network, when I was kind of saying this is the position I felt we were in as a business, gave me the book Traction, which now was written over 16 years ago by a man named Gino Wickman. And it immediately registered uh, with me. And you know me some, Benno, right? It's got the work of really amazing business minds like Jim Collins and Patrick Lencioni and, and Dale Carnegie. So it's got the information from all these amazing business leaders that you've You've read their books, but it also had a system and set of tools and a process on how you take these grant insights, but then go back into an entrepreneurial-led company and actually start using them. And so we started using those tools, and I could see a change almost immediately. And so it was really great to see it improve the business. And probably the largest thing I saw was it increased our alignment and accountability. It helped us really understand what we needed to get traction towards our real goals instead of feeling like we were a little stuck in the mud. And I fell in love with that and seeing the positive impact it had on on me and the leaders in my business and just, you know, using this clear process so you could kind of systemize the predictable just allowed then the human energy and all that excitement and energy we were bringing in to be put on the most important things, because the more simplistic and other approaches were were accomplished by process. And when I saw the impact there, I knew this is what I was going to what I was going to do next. And, and now I help leadership teams implement EOS and their businesses full time.
0: You said a process inside entrepreneurial companies. And I think folks or, or I, I certainly think there is sort of Two ends of the spectrum. On the one hand, you have, you know, entrepreneurial, creative, uh, lack of process. Right when you start from zero to something, there's just just start, just go west, young man. Right, that's the extent of the process. And then, as companies get, you know, I mean, then you go to the other end of the spectrum. If it's you know a multi billion dollar publicly traded company, there's maybe too much process not entrepreneurial enough and almost going towards bureaucracy which is sort of a you know a dirty word of saying process. So how do you differentiate you know between good process and bad bureaucracy, right?
1: Right. And you hit the nail on the head. I love the spectrum analogy because it's very much like that. And so, you know, in the work that I do, that focus is that entrepreneurial spirit. And you're right, right? Most entrepreneurial companies start with a team of one or a team of two, you know, in the gift space, it's a lot of husband and wife duos, right, that start. And so every decision is yours and it's largely gut instinct or opinion and you get going. But as you grow, that vision isn't scalable when you're at person 50 or 150 or 350, right? And what then a lot of entrepreneurs can suffer with is their vision not coming to reality because they can't share it clearly enough that all these great team members that they brought on board can help move the business forward and gain traction, right? Towards that vision. And so that spectrum is exactly why I do this work. Entrepreneurs want to be able to Create processes that allow them to scale their vision and eventually, for many of them, build up a strong leadership team that feels like they have an equal interest in that business and releases some of the pressure on that visionary, that entrepreneur that first started the organization. And so I kind of use a, you know, a pretty classic 80-20 rule, right? What's the the 20% of the steps? That we need to do that get us 80% of the results. And then as long as you're training and then managing and measuring people on those processes, you know, that, that 20% that they have the freedom to interpret on their own is going to work. You know, to your question, when do I know you're erring towards bureaucracy? It's the client that I go to who's halfway through their 400 page SOP manual. We're not on the path that you want to be on. You know, this is a document that's never going to be finished. And never going to be read, and so that that 2080 entrepreneurial approach is how I think you know companies and leaders can look at where am I right on process, where am I short? You know, have I documented the most critical steps so everybody's doing it the right way, uh, the same way every time? Building our brand and our culture, just like we say to our clients that they are. And once you've crossed over that spectrum, you're you're going too far.
0: And I think that's when people hear the word process and Sometimes they shut down because they're just dislike it because it sounds like that 400 page SOP manual that nobody reads that uh, will maybe be used, you know, in executive meetings against a person, right? <laughs> Do you find a lot of pushback on the word process or sort of this yeah, bureaucratic version of process when, uh, when you work with clients?
1: I think uh, when I work with a lot of leaders, when we start saying the word process, the first thing I see is a little fear, right? Maybe the second thing I see is a little resignation, right? The entrepreneur that's like, hey, this business is growing too fast for me to be the single decision maker, right? Or the single driver. So I've resigned myself to wanting to bring in process. And and maybe one day I'll come up with a sexier word that means the same thing. But in a lot of the conversations that I have with leaders, I think in a couple minutes, right, when you sit there and talk about going, every company is still using a process, Like you all have a process for how you hire and recruit people, whether you're a small company and it's just people the owner personally knows and he reaches out to and goes through recommendations or you recruit on LinkedIn or you use a really amazing recruiter or HR team. You have a process in which you recruit and hire people, whether you document it or not or, or share it or not. The process still exists. You have a process on how you run meetings, whether you run them really well or really poorly. There's actually a process in how you're doing it, even if you're not naming it. So with a lot of the leaders, you know, within two minutes, we can really quickly identify a handful of processes that they have in their business that they're like, oh, of course, that's a process. And naming something then gives you a lot more power and control over it. And then looking at that is where you can really look at to go, does this process reinforce the values and the focus of this organization and the type of culture that we want to have. And it doesn't take massive tweaks. I mean, the the lifting and the work that I can see leadership teams do in just a single day meeting is incredible. And a lot of them will go, man, we spent six months, we didn't get this far. But we again use a process where we come in and we stay focused and we stay present and we work on the business, not in the business that day, we work on the business and it can be a game changer. But yeah, it can be scary those first few minutes when we start talking about process and a lot of that is a little bit of fear of what is this going to point out in my business that isn't as strong as I'd like it to be or is overcomplicated and some resignation and going, I haven't done this very well, map these processes, but I want the company scalable and I'm willing, willing to do that.
0: And I think some, you know, oftentimes I find the work that you and I both do with companies is, is just a matter of an outsider coming in and being able to sort of name the baby or, you know, as they say, you can't read, you cannot read the wine label when you're sitting inside the bottle. I mean, right, we we have the advantage of, of the outside perspective to just say to the team, hey, I think here's what you guys are doing. I think here's your process. Oftentimes they're not aware of it or they didn't give it a name. So we can help by just Providing that outside perspective, right?
1: Absolutely. I think the the value that you and I, and coaches and facilitators and consultants, you know, throughout the world, you know, you need to bring in one objectivity because the people in that room are carrying that business on their shoulders every single day. So we need to bring in a lot of empathy. And from my experience in entrepreneurial firms and and leading a very entrepreneurial, fast-paced company, I have a lot of empathy for what these leadership teams are. Uh, going through. And it's a very, very busy, constantly changing business environment that we're in now. And then with that empathy, you can still bring in that objectivity and give them some perspective that they don't have when they're working in that business. And then we're also responsible for bringing in accountability, doing our part of the work really, really well and on time, right? And as as advertised, so to speak. So it increases their accountability and partner, right? I mean, you don't, you don't hire a diet coach to feed you cake. And just that mental commitment to going, I want to make a change and I'm going to bring in an accountability partner is often the very first of the big game changers I see in leadership teams. I'm sure you see this with clients you work. Seeing that the leader took that first step and made that investment ups everybody's game right away.
0: You're exactly right. And uh, just the the top leader saying, hey, I don't know everything, let's bring in an outside perspective, gives mid-management or the whole executive team kind of the freedom to say, well, I don't know everything either. And the fact is, you and I don't know everything either, right? It's just, And and that's where the empathy comes in and the ability to just sort of put ourselves into the leader's uh, shoes. I wanted to ask you another question, and, and you kind of started addressing it, you know, when we talked about, you know, the spectrum from entrepreneurial to overly bureaucratic, you know, the 300-page manual that just collects dust, essentially. How important is, you know, what I call the altitude of information, right? Being too broad, replacing a 300-page manual just with one sentence is probably not the right thing to do. How do you view the idea of flying at, you know, 20,000 feet versus, you know, 500 feet altitude when you help executive teams implement EOS?
1: Interesting. That's an interesting way to kind of pose that question. And I would say first for teams, when we're working together, we set our intent and our objectives. And I think that's critical. That's critical for everything. Before you start your workout, set your intent set your goal for that week out, right? Before you set a conversation with your spouse when they've come home from work, set an intent, right? or an objective for that that conversation because going in with thoughtfulness, I find is going to greatly increase the result. And then for the teams that I work with, we do a mix and I like your your conversation on altitude. It's about starting high. You know, what's that full vision? Where do we want to be three years? And we do, again, that in an entrepreneurial, high-level way. This isn't an in-depth three to five years. It's like, what do we want this company to look like three years from now? What are five to 15 bullets that identify what that would be? Okay, now, if we can see that three years from now, is not very far. So what does the next 12-month plan high-level need to look like have us on the path for three years, right? So we start at twenty thousand. Maybe we've moved down now to ten thousand with our one-year plan, and then we break it down into quarters. Okay, what would I de- need to do in the next ninety days to have me on plan for the year? That had me on plans for the three years, and just setting that intention. And we look at all of those lenses during this process. So we're never going to finish our ninety-day goals, right? And maybe now we're down at the five hundred to one thousand-foot level. And if we, we then look up and go, is this in alignment with our 10,000 foot goal? If it's not, where are we off track? And we work on that in a room. And a big part of that effort with the leadership team is to get them aligned. But as goes the leadership team, you know, so goes the organization. So when they take this into their teams and their teams see them working cross teams within the organization this way, starting both with a big picture goal and then bringing it down to. This is something that we need to do in the next 90 days. That's going to get us on the way there. I find it to be a game changer. So I think my answer to you would be, we start high and we go low. And then the work that I do with teams, we meet every 90 days, right? You go and you work crazy for 90 days down in your business, trying to accomplish these goals. And then we stop, we lift our heads up, we go back up to 20,000 feet, right? We reset our alignment, our intentions. We look back at how we did and we look forward at what we want to do next. You know, a big part of that is also going, you're not going to be perfect. The goal isn't perfect, right? A lot of us are running crazy businesses, succeeding almost in spite of ourselves, right? The goal is to intentionally get better so that you're getting stronger and stronger at making that impact, which, you know, requires you to learn, learn together through that. So I really think for truly effective leadership teams, it takes a mix, that high level view and then that down. What are we going to do the next 90 days?
0: And EOS, I think uh, you use the term "big rocks" right uh, to differentiate from pebble and sand. And you know, uh, I, we've all, I'm sure, seen you know the YouTube of somebody you know filling a bucket first with sand and then with pebble and then with rocks versus first with rocks, then with pebble, then putting the sand over it, right? And so I, I, I love that analogy of you know what I call altitude is, is, is in in EOS terminology. I think uh, you know big rocks pebble to sand.
1: Yeah. And you know, that's another great, I think it's Franklin Covey that first had that great analogy and it's so crystal clear. And that's true in so many things, isn't it? Right. When somebody's then given you the perspective, you're like, that's completely Correct. Right. We've got to pick the rocks, which are the bigger things. They are the harder things. They're going to take us longer. But prioritize those first. And then you quickly find you have a chance to put the pebbles in there. Right. Smaller things, consistent meetings, one to ones. And then you still have room to put the sand in there. Right. Today and sand in today's environment is probably email. Right. Um, now we get personal text, personal WhatsApp. what, right? All those grains of sand that if you started with those, you could spend all day in your email box but did it move your team forward you know did it inspire your your group and so it is really about setting those rocks and the work that i do with leadership teams is not only about setting that for the teams and then each of them identifying their rocks their big picture goals for 90 days but then sharing that information out consistently across their organization right what does everybody say you, you have to hear something 7 times before you even start hearing it the first time. But quarter after quarter, seeing their leaders stand up and go, these were my rocks, here's what went well and is accomplished, and here's what didn't, and it's either a new rock or we changed based on everything that we learned. That's really important. You said that earlier, right? Like how do you help teams feel like they can enter a room and know that they don't know everything. The same as you know, there's no consultant or coach that knows anybody, any everything, right? Anybody who's willing to say I know everything's in the wrong room or in the wrong. That's business. right. That's right. And <laughs> <Right? laughs> I don't think or in today's just environment, highly,
0: highly yeah, delusional.
1: <laughs> exactly right. In today's <laughs> environment, if you stand up and say I I know everything, you've lost the entire room, right? They've stopped listening, and so it's about kind of creating that environment where even the teams can see they set goals, they didn't reach them all, but look at how far they got, and how can I contribute to that? next. I think that's a big part of it.
0: When I asked you at the very beginning what made you sort of, you know, become a believer in EOS, you said, you know, people were working in silos and uh, which means they're not sharing things. And this whole idea of setting the big rocks, the, you know, the big goals, uh, reviewing them with everybody on the leadership team, every, you know, some of it weekly, some of it monthly, some of it every 90 days. Creates alignment and it creates buy-in. One thing that I think is important to recognize is that alignment and you know sharing and alignment and buy-in requires learning from everybody in the room. And everybody learns differently, right? Some people learn by, you know, reading an Excel report, others uh, are very visual, others, you know, need to have a conversation one-on-one. How do you see integrating sort of you know the different communication styles and 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 learning styles to help everybody on the team work with each other?
1: Well, that could probably be a whole nother podcast in itself. Probably, maybe right? we,
0: it could be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think that awareness of different types and, and there are great tools out there. And I'm sure a lot of the business leaders listening to this podcast, you know, maybe you've shown us in Colby or maybe you used a disk assessment or, or strength finders. And I find that those are great tools to help identify the different types of learners and communicators in the room. You know, I think what EOS offers and what I see that really makes the difference in it, it is, is consistency. So we have an approach we call the level 10 meeting, right? So the concept behind that is if you finished a meeting and you were going to grade it on a scale from one worst to 10 most effective, how could you leave so that your meetings were consistently rated a nine or a 10? they were effective, they were productive. They were kind of a type of meeting everybody wants to come to, right? Because they know something's going to get done. They're not in that meeting actually answering emails on their (laughs) iPhone, right?
0: Not not the type of meeting that could have been an email. (laughs)
1: Exactly, exactly. And so regardless, I think, of how people communicate or learn, being aware of that is important. But consistency and effort is equally important, right? Because it's it's like practice. It's the same as anything else. You're just getting practice and you get better at communicating. So in our level 10 formats, we follow the exact same format every single week because why your mental muscles about how to approach that get stronger and stronger the more you do it the same way. So the process isn't meant to be restrictive. It's actually meant so it can free up all that mental load that you were carrying, wondering, are we going to talk about this today? I wonder if somebody had this on the to-do list and is going to remember to follow up. It removes all that mental load because you've all got a crystal clear agenda. The format's going to go exactly the same. And that allows each person to put in the way that they communicate and make it work for them, within right?
0: within that framework,
1: exactly. And so, I think that's the key.
0: It kind of removes the f- fear, also, of people. Oftentimes, walk into a meeting going, "Oh, oh, God, what is this going to be about? Am I going to be asked this question? Am I going to be? Is somebody going to embarrass me? Right? Because I didn't, I didn't do something that I, I, I missed a deadline or whatever. So, just having a very clear agenda, same agenda for the same type of meeting every time just provides that consistency. And then you can focus on the content that makes up that you really need to be talking about, not what are we going to talk about in this meeting?
1: Exactly. That's our goal, right? We don't want the person coming to the meeting who's like, I hope nobody's going to bring this up because I don't want to talk about it. It's not going as I planned, right? We want the type of meeting to go, hey, we all agreed on this and we're not on track. So let's talk about what's throwing us off track and how can we work together To solve it. So you don't have that guilt or that fear or that worry. You know, you're going to enter that room. You know, it's going to be a topic and it's going to be all hands on deck to figure out a solution.
0: You and I are both not 18 anymore. So, you know, it's not, I'm not going to ask, you know, I'm not going to say anything more about age than that, but we know that we're not 18 anymore. What advice do you wish somebody had given you when you were 18?
1: That's a great question. I wish early on I had realized that life is this process, not a series of events, right? Life is a journey, not a destination. Because I think at young ages, you know, you focus specifically on big benchmarks. I'm going to graduate high school, and then I'm going to graduate college, and then I'm going to have a job, and I don't know what I'm going to do after that, right? But a lot of times when we're younger, it's looked as the set of steps, and then goes, great, from 22 to 62, go to work. And it's so much More than that. And it it requires you to be a constant learner. You're not done after college. You're just starting. So you have to figure out how you learn the best, right? To your question earlier, how do you learn? Well, is it reading? Is it audio books? Is it one-on-one mentors? Because after college, only you invest in you. And so I had some, some good mentors early on that helped me see that. But if I'd known that at 18 versus maybe my late 20s when I finally started figuring that out, I think it would have helped me a lot. And it's something that I share with, with my two boys all the time.
0: If folks wanted to reach out to you one-on-one, what would be a good way for them to find you, You know, maybe have sort of an exploratory call on EOS or share that with their listeners?
1: Absolutely. I'm so excited to be doing this work. So I'm happy to lead any leadership team through a meeting that explains EOS and the processes that we use to see if it might be a right fit for you. You can call me anytime. My cell phone number is 910-232-6767. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions or ideas or how much you're loving EOS in your business. There are 22,000 companies across the world implementing EOS right now, running on EOS. And so my email is at gmail.com or find me on LinkedIn.
0: There you go. I love it. If folks wanted to explore other growth topics, uh, you can find me on our website, realignforresults.com, or just email Benno, B-E-N-N-O, at realignforresults.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time. You can listen to more episodes on Apple, Spotify, or Google. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review it. Share it with your friends or colleagues if
1: you enjoyed the content. Always growing.